Hello, and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators, home to NARC Troopers. If you're suffering from the recovery following an abusive relationship with a narcissist, sociopath, or psychopath, uh, check out my website where you'll find a library of resources from articles to podcasts to YouTube videos and other uh, things to help you on your journey to wellness. Today we're going to talk about the last things that we let go of. Narcissistic abuse recovery is a long process really with I think five final challenges that we can get stuck at each one of those stages. So you've done the hard work, you fought the hard fight, held on to hope, walked the walk, and you're almost there. It damn near killed you, but you survived. You see it there on the horizon, a resplendent sunrise of promise and rebirth and new beginnings. Freedom, wholeness, health, sanity, peace. But forget Ninja Warrior. This is more like Narcissist Warrior. We are, um, <laughs> um, let's see, how can, how can I tell you this? We, we have, um, we're navigating a similar set of hazards to the Ninja Warrior, which, by the way, is one of my favorite shows to see those people doing all that. Um, you know, we've navigated a similar set of, of hazards, and, and, you know, there's often um, one or two last obstacles that hold us back, right? You make it all the way through the obstacle course, you're almost to the end, and then, oof, ow, boom, smack, slam, splash, there you go. Um, you don't make it. You fall down right there, close to the finish line. And, um, you know, those last pieces have to be dealt with and, um, in our case, released to make the space for something good to come in. So life is a process of becoming via insight. Having insight into yourself allows you to have insight into others, and this is called theory of mind. Knowing is not enough. It's the first step, but it's not enough. Empathy is the bridge and crossing into others, and these others are your reality testing. It was Dr. Sam Vaknin who said that, yes, my... Um, person that I trust to tell me stuff. I listen to him every day. So when I turned my gaze to the man sitting beside me, the covert somatic narcissist that had masqueraded as my husband for 15 long years, I thought I saw all of him. The man he appeared to be, the injured boy that he was, and the fully actualized man I believed that he could be. I loved all of those different parts of him, blindly and without borders. I just didn't understand the extent 
of his mental sickness or the depth of my own issues with layers of complex trauma and codependency. And not being able to know that at the time cost me everything. The meeting of a narcissist and their victim is a meeting of two hungers. The victim is hungry for love and the narcissist is hungry for existence. Hmm. The narcissist tries to become through the victim, but the sad irony is that the only way for this to happen is to abscond with her existence and deny her becoming. The only way for the victim to obtain love from the narcissist is to stop being and become as much of an absence as he is. So, more wise words. Yes, yes, I know, Dr. Wagner. In many ways, that is exactly what happened to me, to you, uh, to all of us who are coming out of this, this thing. Um, you know, I was discarded and summarily erased, which caused me to become hollow and empty. It gutted, just gutted me. I became absent. The, the four plus years that have passed since that discard have been comprised of persistent efforts to birth myself and to create uh, a new life without my husband who, who defined me in the shared fantasy that was our 15 year long marriage. I fell into the rabbit hole and disappeared. Everyone was keenly aware that the person that they knew before had disintegrated in a vat of NPD acid. And, you know, that felt more like sugar and warm milk than acid at the time. <laughs> Silly me. My children mourned my loss and they moved on without me. I vanished. I ceased to exist except inside this fiction bubble where my narcopath husband had become my savior, my mother, my child, my world. It was an imaginary world. Over four years after this sudden departure, I can say that I'm still tormented in different ways, even in my sleep. It reminds me that he is embedded deep into my psyche and he lives on in the recesses, all the nooks and crannies of my mind. That's why I haven't slept in four years and have insomnia. And um, I'm afraid if I go to sleep, I will have to relive these horrors, this, these, these moments with him. Everything in the dream was dead at the end. It was the day he left, June 18th, 2019. I had made spaghetti and portobellas. My beautiful American Eskimo dogs, long gone from, from this life, were playing in the backyard. 
The fence was down, and they kept running past it and into the neighbor's yard next door, where there, there were three fluffy white puppies. I didn't even know my female was expecting a litter. His family, one by one, came to help him to get his things, and he was putting furniture together silently as I paced and pleaded nearby, watching a horror, um, you know, the horror of this silent departure, the screaming, so many screams, primal, consuming screams of the banshee um, as I threw my head back and howled to the sky. He was emotionless as I frantically tried to stop him, you know, falling to my knees and holding on, holding on to his ankles and begging and sobbing and choking too much to even speak. It was like he couldn't even see me. I was a ghost. Finally, he said softly, smile. And immediately I put on my biggest smile. I can do it. I can smile. I can keep the smile. I'll never stop smiling. I felt like the Joker with a maniacal smile carved on grimacing lips. I kept smiling, trying to do what he said, but I guess it wasn't maybe the right smile. I, I don't know. The helplessness of feeling like being murdered slowly overwhelmed me. Lots of things in that room were pieces from my other life with him and with my children before all of this happened, back, far back when, when things were different for everybody, for us, and, you know, but, but it all just evaporated into nothingness as the terror of having to live through even one day without him squeezed all of the breath out of my body and sucked the air out of the room. It was as if he killed me, and he was just stepping over my lifeless body to get out the door. I didn't exist in his world anymore. So why would I dream something like this four and a half years later? Yep, this was all a dream that I had. Well, um... There's more. <laughs> it's like our hearts were eggs that contained the yolk of life. And uh, his heart was one of those empty plastic cheap eggs, you know, uh, with some crappy little piece of uh, junk candy inside. My heart was warm. And when cracked open, it splattered onto a hot sizzling sidewalk with a sizzle. My little egg heart was filled with life, invisible, inconsequential, uh, non-existent, but life. I am in the middle of a snowstorm, or some kind of storm, in the center of a tornado, maybe, or in the eye of, of a typhoon or something. And then when you're in the center of something like that, like a hurricane, you don't even realize it, right? It's the sweet spot inside of a monster, it, it, a destroyer of life, and it feels cold and, and safe when you're in the center. Love with a narcissist is like that. 
when you're in it, you're in the center of that storm. So you don't see all the swirling damage and destruction and death that it's wreaking all around it. You're in the middle, you're in the nucleus, you're in the center and, and you know, but, but the force of nature that destroys everything in its path. Well, you know, you can't stay there forever in the middle. This force of nature is going to suck you into the vortex already so deeply in it now. And it's, and it's going to destroy you in ways that you never knew possible. I see everything picked up and blown across the sky like the Wizard of Oz <laughs> and sidebar here. Of course, I'm dreaming about the Wizard of Oz because that movie deeply, um, gosh, it's my life, right? Um, so it's like that. Um, or that movie Twister, maybe, you know, where the cars and the cows and the grocery carts and everything are swirling debris or getting picked up and everything out of the, um, this debris field. It's getting closer and closer to the, to the center. Um, you're trying to hold the center. You know, I try to lean into him, but he's no longer there in the center with me. Did I wake up yet? <laughs> We're still going with this dream. He can't hear me or see me or feel anything about me because he erased all of it. All the good, all the children, all the memories, all the precious moments. Where is he? I feel panic and I run from the room to room in our beautiful empty house. The sunset is heavy, like the sky is filled with the poison root, like, um, like a nuclear bomb that is beautiful, but oh, so annihilating. I hear a pop and an electric flash um, that moves toward me, devouring everything in its past. A ravenous light, destroyer of all things, apocalyptic. I reach for his hand intuitively like a thousands and thousands of times before that he was always there and took my hand in his in a way that made me believe that we were invincible and we could face anything and it would be okay. Two ruined children creating safety in the chaos. But this time he's not there. He's gone and the wave of light takes me in an instant. Nothing remains. Only dust and smoke and little particles wafting down like snow. And that's the end of the dream. I wake up exhausted and empty. When does this all end? These long dreams that are so real, they're like lucid dreams. They're, they're like alternate reality dreams. They're like the life that I had with him all those years. You know, I work with people now who have experienced something similar. And, uh, you know, kind of like, I like to think it's kind of like um, sponsors that coach people in AA to stay sober. You know, it's kind of the same thing. Like, I've been through it, and I'm trying to be sober. I... I am sober. I, he's not here and, um, I have no contact with him. Um, 
you know, I tell them what needs to happen next because I know to get better, to get free. And almost always they are grateful and they tell me how much I have helped them and the clarity that they now have and the path forward to navigate through this. Yet I myself am still a work in progress. Knowing and accepting and understanding and having a deep uh, cognitive awareness of what exactly happened and why it happened and how you can never allow it to happen again. You know, all of that really isn't enough. Your body and your heart and your soul have to know it and they have to accept it too. Just the mind, just cognitively, it's not enough. It's not. And, and you know, this is the hard part, syncing up and reconciling the head and the heart, the body and the mind. Time passes. You do the work. You develop boundaries. You stay no contact. You accept how mentally unwell the narcissist is and how it was never real, only a fiction and um, a stage production maybe. You do all the right things, but the finish line is still a little bit too far in the distance to see. What are usually the hardest obstacles to resolve and get past before you can truly have ownership of your life again? I think there are a few stubborn things that you need to be prepared for and ready to do whatever it takes. These are the things that linger on after you learn all about cluster B disorders and you have come to understand uh, your role as a participant, as kind of a co-conspirator or volunteer, you know, in this madness. And it's a madness of mutual psychosis that was your relationship. So these are the things. <laughs> Finally, we're going to get to it here, 15 minutes in. These are the five things to overcome on the road to recovery. I have bullet pointed these out for you guys. Number one, this first one is most likely the most formidable of all things that get in the way of recovery. There are harsh and critical uh, inner critics in your brain that the narcissist has implanted in your mind called introjects. These inner voices continue to mock and ridicule and judge and tear you down long after the narcissist is gone. Introjects from early childhood and through your life team up with the narcissist voice to ruin you. Number two, your sentimentalization. <laughs> yeah, the way that you hold on to the delicious emotional moments of bliss without holding close the unbelievably abusive betrayals and lies. Every time you start to romanticize the shared fantasy, stop and make a list to remind yourself how toxic, damaging, and hurtful, dangerous even, the narcissist actually was. You stop all cravings and longings and indulgence in nostalgic ennui 
ennui. When you do that, then you you must cease and desist all thought of it. You know, breaking no contact is often the result of this thinking. And if you miss them, you know, after after all that they did to you and all they did to everything around you, then there is something, something really wrong. And you need to take a look at that. The, it's an addiction. I'll give you a clue, a little hint there. I think that you have trauma addiction, uh, which is kind of like trauma bonding, but not exactly. And it's a thing. It's for real. And we have it. And we need to deal with it and get rid of it. Detox. Go through withdrawal. Something like that. Okay, I've got three more for you that can trip you up, hold you back. If your ability to trust is destroyed, <clears throat> then you have a way to, um, you know, you have a way to to go, I think, before you're truly healed. Because, you know, you have to allow yourself to be vulnerable and to trust not only yourself, but also your decisions and your um, your and other people, you have to trust them too. If you doubt yourself along with everyone else, then there is a problem there. And that is a deterrent to um, complete recovery or deterrent, as so many people say. Uh, number four, when the narcissist discards you and burns your life to the ground, steals your identity and your dreams, and you give in to the narcissist's kiss of death, it is common to lose the will to live and the ability to enjoy life and to participate in it. Mm -hmm. There's actually a word for this that I can't say, so I'm not going to say it because it's a hard word. And um, But there's an actual diagnosis that comes with a lack of joy. You can never feel happy. You may want to give up and give in to the prolonged grief and depression. But, you know, if you can't shake it and find the will to live and discover joy, then you have some work to do and you need to get some help. Gather together a team of people to help you. One person may not be enough. And if your therapist doesn't understand narcissistic abuse on a very deep and profound level, that can do more harm to you than good. You need to find people that speak this language and who talk the talk and are members of the tribe who have walked the walk of fire through the, through the fire and out to the other side. You need to find those people. Number five, this is the last one you've been waiting for. One of the necessary components to full recovery is accepting your role in the shared fantasy with the narcissist. If you see yourself as the victim with no culpability for your part in, part in all of this, in the leaning in, when most people would have run away and headed for the exit and also, your, your part for staying so long when it should have been clear to you what you were dealing with, then, then you are in denial because it takes two to tango and you're not just a victim. You don't want to claim that identity. Mm -mm, that is not what you want to be, who you want to be. Yes, you were victimized. Uh, you were vulnerable. You were addicted, you were codependent maybe, you were a lot of things, 
but you are in it. Um, and you have to accept your part of that, you know. When you're in denial, um, you know, you can't move forward. In reality, most people are more volunteers than victims. Trauma, bonding, trauma addiction, addiction to the narcissist and other malevolent forces may have kept you paralyzed, and that's understandable. There's a lot of reasons you may have been unable to go. Um, but, you know, it's important to accept responsibility for your part in all of it. Yes, you were victimized by an alpha predator who played you, and but that, you know, regardless of how horrible that was, um, victimhood does not define who you are. That is not who you are, and you can't let it become who you are. There are many, many things that need care and attention, analysis and deconstruction, unpacking and cataloging. Um, but these five things, I think, are typically the hardest to let go of after you have begun healing and creating this new life. Some people get stuck, um, you know, on these difficult challenges and languish there in limbo or purgatory, whatever you want to call it, for years and years. Years and years. Life is short. Let's not do that. Let's um, try to not fall prey to these five things. You know, you may continue to have some bad days. We all do from time to time. CPTSD may rear its ugly head. There may be a tr trigger. Uh, it may manifest symptoms here and there. Um, grief and regret may also visit you and hover for brief periods of time. And you may dream about them. Like that long, weird, messed up dream that I shared to start with today. You know, yeah, you may feel like a hellscape has, is, has descended upon you and that, that tears at your progress in the most heartbreaking ways. And you may be triggered from these random and unexpected things. But these things, um, these things trip up even the most determined survivor and prevent them from achieving complete agency and control over their new lives. So we must be resolute, determined, committed, focused, vigilant. We must have the right support around us. We must make the right choices to get us to that finish line. Examine your progress and have a candid conversation with yourself. Then take the necessary action. Life is short and there's little time to allow introjects to indulge in longing, to distrust everyone, including yourself, to surrender to death or to refuse to accept responsibility for your part. You can conquer it all and go on to enjoy a healthy life, free from the horror of this experience. I promise you, you can. Um, but, you know, it may take a while. So put on some comfortable shoes. <laughs> the road may get bumpy, but, you know, I think we can all get to the other side. They may be incapable and incurable, but you are not. If you are not a cluster B person with narcissism, sociopathy, or psychopathy, then you're probably able to be, uh, to be helped.
to get past this, even borderline people who are cluster B, they can, they, they can be okay. Um, but narcissists, sociopaths, psychopaths, not so much. No, they can't. So let's definitely have gratitude for that fact and not get stuck with prolonged grief syndrome or stuck in a rut of all of this suffering that's just going to go on and on. You know, life needs to be lived. Let's go do it. Let's go do it. See you again soon, guys. Be safe out there. Bye. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.